Hey, good morning. Um, like the, the video announcements had just, just said, I just want to take a quick moment and just reiterate. Uh, on June 5th, we are having a student life golf tournament, and this is the best way for our students that are going to camp to raise money to help cover some of the costs that that camp is. And so if you're a golfer, if you're not a golfer, but you know someone who has golf clubs, we need you. We need we, we need golfers. We need people that are going to be able to sponsor. And so if you have any questions or any desire to be involved in whatever capacity, you can find me or you can just go out to the table uh, here in the lobby. There's a putting green also, so that's cool. Uh, but go check that out. Go get some information and get signed up for our golf tournament to help students go to camp. Again, that's that's June 5th. It's a Monday, but it's at 1, so you can work in the morning, and then you can go play golf for a really great cause that afternoon. How awesome does that sound? Very awesome. Yeah. So um, today we are continuing on in our, ser- in, in our series, This Is Me, uh, and I just want to tell you that I am pumped for today. I am so excited for, for, this, ser- or for this series and more specifically this message. Um, I think that this is something that... this. It's important for all of us. Uh, and I know that for me, that's easy for me to forget. It's easy for me just to kind of think about from time to time and not really let the power and the weight of this um, topic uh, set in. And so to get us started, I have a question for you that I, I, this is a rhetorical question, so don't answer back out loud. Like don't, I mean, you can if you want to, um, but, but don't answer back out loud. Um, you, you can write the question down on your notes page, or if you're like feeling really excited, you can actually write the answer to the question on your notes. All right. Are you ready? Here's the question. Does God's grace have limits? It's a big question. Ryan, I've only had one cup of coffee today. How about we start something a little bit easier? All right. What's your favorite color? Good. All right. So now, second question. Does God's grace have limits? Does God's grace have limits? I I, I know this is big, but I, I think that this is something that we need to think through. And this is really where we're going to be today, and this is what we're going to be talking about. And for many of us, we have grown up at least hearing that God is a God of love. That no matter what happens, no matter who we are or where we are, that God loves us and that love will never be taken away. Um, But what if, what if we do this? What if I am this? Is God's grace still sufficient? Is God's grace still enough for me? In this series, we've, been, we, we've used the story of Adam and Eve just kind of as a launch pad for, for where we've been going and what we've been talking about. And so just to catch us all up, um, real quick, Adam and Eve, they sinned, right? We, we all can agree on that. They, they sinned. They ate from the tree that they were like specifically told not to eat from. And so God said, hey, don't do this. And they decided that it was probably better for them to do that. And then in that moment, their eyes were open and they were able to see the world for what it was. And it was broken. And they were able to see like all of the sudden that they were naked and they knew that they messed up. And so to try to cover up their shame, to try to cover up the thing that they did, they fashioned together some little leaves and they made little coverings for themselves. And in that moment right there, um, a fashion design was born. And they were the very first Project Runway. 
It could only go up from there, right? Uh, it, it's, and so, um, but they failed like their act to cover up their shame and of what they had done. It did not fool God. God did, he, he, he was not amused. He wasn't tricked. It did not fool God. And instead, and, and instead of God coming in with some holy anger and some holy rage, he did something better for them. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Zach walked us through what that was that God did. And he, he actually fashioned for them coverings. He invited them into something better. And instead of like just losing his mind, God invited them to something better. Which is great news for people like us, right? It's great news for people like me, for people like you, that in that moment, God's grace was sufficient. That's good news because God's grace was enough. But they only ate a piece of fruit. There's a story in John 4 that we're going to rest in this place today. And some of you probably have heard the story. And, 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 and I, I know, like, for me personally, this is a story that has just, for lack of a better word, haunted me for a very long time. And so we're going to read this story. And it, it's a powerful story. It's an important story. And I know that if, like, if you're just going to start reading it, you, there, there are probably some things that you, may, that you may miss. And so I want to make sure that we get some of the backstory and some of the history of this. And so um, John chapter 4 verse 4. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. First, Jesus didn't really have to do anything, right? He didn't really have to do anything. He, he, he could have just skirted around Samaria, just like everyone else. And like the reason why this is important is because um, this is Samaria. Jews and Samaritans, they, they, they were not big fans of each other. Actually, they hated each other. And it goes back from a, a long, long history of, uh, of animosity between each other. And it, it, it starts with many years before this, the, the, uh, the, the Israelites in this, like the Israelites, they were taken captive by the Assyrians. And, the, and the, the Israelites in the south part of the kingdom, many of them did not go for whatever reason. And there's a lot of other reasons or a lot of thoughts as to why they didn't go. But many of them in the south didn't go. Instead, it go into captivity. I'm make sure we caught that. They didn't go into captivity. And the reason, or not the reason, but so while they were not in captivity, they started to marry and worship the gods of the Assyrians. And so when the Israelites that were in captivity, when they came out, they saw that their kingdom, their homeland, their, their area was now overrun with half-bred Jews, half-bred Israelites. And they hated, they felt like they'd been betrayed. They felt like everything that God had promised them was now just gone because of these half-breeds. And so like there was an incredible amount of hatred between the two. And you also, if, if, if you look like earlier in, in this, like verse two, verse three, um, he says that they're, that they're in Galilee and they need, or they're in Judea and they need to go to Galilee, whatever it is, um, one or the other. And in, in between the two is Samaria. 
And so to get from one place to the next, the quickest route is a straight line, right through Samaria. But instead, instead, many Jews would walk days out of their way just to make sure they don't pass through Samaria, which is dangerous. Traveling from town to town in this day was an incredibly dangerous thing. And so they would, they, they, they would do everything that they could to make sure that they did not go through Samaria. And so for Jesus to say, we need to go through Samaria, like I imagine the disciples were probably like, nope, I'll see you later. We're going to try something else. We're going to go the long way. You go your way. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. It's cool. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. Verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Also important for us to understand is the time of this. Is the timing. It's about noontime. In that region, in that day, the women, they would go to draw water in the morning. It was kind of a community event. It was kind of something that they all did together. They would just meet there. They would probably share stories about their husbands and dream about how beautiful their weddings would have been if Pinterest was a thing. And they were, they would have all of these conversations and it was kind of this like just community gathering place. And so no one went to the well around noontime unless you were ashamed of, of, ashamed of something. Unless you had something to hide. Verse 7. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Remember, this is around noontime. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So this woman, clearly broken, <laughs> clearly ashamed and we gather this because of the time of day clearly broken clearly ashamed clearly trying to to, to hide behind something she probably went to the well to hide from people or to escape conversation to to make sure that she didn't have to have any of these awkward interactions between people and of all the people that she could have bumped into at the well that day, just happened to be the son of God. Awesome. So Jesus, he initiates this conversation with a woman that is very clearly far from God. He initiates a conversation and he should have known, Jesus should have known that being seen with this woman or even just being seen talking to this woman or in in. in in the um, vicinity of this woman, he should have known that this would have just unbelievably damaged his reputation. Why is this holy man, why is this man of God, why is this man who, who claims to be the Messiah, why is he talking to this woman? If he really is, he would know who she is and he would know what she's done. 
But instead, Jesus initiates the conversation, and he doesn't seem to care. Let's keep going. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So she shows Jesus, a little bit at least, she shows Jesus that she understands some religion, and she's probably, she's probably thinking to herself that there's, that there's something different with this man. Like she understands the history, she understands like the history of her town, and she understands the, 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 the feud between Jews and Samaritans. And so she understands these things, but there's something that is different about this Jew. There's something that is different about this man. No doubt she's known men before, right? Like, if, if you know the story, we know that she has known men before, but no, none of them have ever given her this type of attention or this type of respect. Jesus listens to her. He dialogues with her. He takes her questions seriously. There's something different about this man. He treated her with dignity and kindness. And she was probably thinking to herself, thank God this man does not know who I am. Thank God this man does not know what I've done. When really Jesus was trying to tell her who she is. He was trying to show her who she was and whose she was. Verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. If we flip forward, uh, if, if we keep reading, like we, we continue to see this interaction between Jesus and between this woman. But if we flip forward to verse 25, uh, it, it says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. That man that you speak of, that man that you say is going to come and is going to help you and is going to explain everything to you, the man that you're dreaming of and waiting on, he's now sitting in front of you. I am that man. And then she runs away and it says that like she, she gets up and she takes off and she runs away, but she doesn't run away in fear. She doesn't run away because she's ashamed. She doesn't run away because she now knows that there's one more person in this world who, who, who knows her and who knows her, the, the, the things that she's trying to cover up. She doesn't run away because of that, but she runs away because she was freed. Because Jesus has the ability to change stories. <laughs> because Jesus has the incredible ability to rewrite stories. 
This woman was freed from the life of pretending, freed from the life of shame, and freed from the life of trying to be someone that she's not. You can write this down. Wrestling with the shame of our past can cause us to try and live as though we have to make up for what we've done. Wrestling with the shame of our past can cause us to try and live as though we have to make up for what we've done. When we're constantly trying to make up for the things in our past, when we're try- constantly trying to, um, to, to pay off debts, we are never going to be able to live in the freedom that, that Jesus offers. We're going to be so consumed and so worried about making sure that, that now we're okay or, 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 or that this person or that person or God knows that we're really, really sorry. So when we're wrestling with the shame of our life, when we're wrestling with the things that we've done in our past, we can never fully be who God has intended us to be. We need to stop living in the regrets of yesterday and start living for the freedom that he offers today. So some of you may be sitting in this room and you're like, Ryan, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm a pretty good Christian. Like, I go to church. I, I, I have a great family. Like, we go to church all the time. I serve all the time. I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty solid. I want you to know that, that Jesus still died for you and there's nothing that you can do to change that. And we'll get to more of this in a moment. And so to, for right now, in this moment, I want us to all say something together. Yeah, I work with students, and so we're going we're gonna to talk out loud. It's, it's okay. I know it's church, but you can still talk out loud. And so we're gonna, I want you to say this with me, okay? I am completely forgiven. That sounds like you all love that. That sounds like, man, I am, I'm going to eat a hot dog today for lunch. No, I am completely forgiven. And what if we believed that? What if, what if our lives reflected that? What if our lives reflected the idea that, that we have been completely forgiven, that no matter what happens, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've gone through, that we are completely forgiven? What if we believe that? What if, what if we let that change our stories? Not like this safe thing that, yes, I've been forgiven and I am good and I go to church. But no, like what if we really, really believe that we've been forgiven? If you don't hear anything else, like if, if, if you've tuned out and you tuned back in because someone shouted something and you tune out again for a moment, come back. <laughs> come back real quick. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this, that living to pay an impossible debt leads to a life that is impossible to live. And here's what that means. Let's say someone loaned you a gazillion dollars. It's quite a bit. Not a big math person, but I think it's more than I have. But let's say someone loaned you a gazillion dollars. And the idea was that you'd have to pay it off. There is no amount of work that you would be able to do to be able to pay off this debt. And if you know of something, let me know. 
If you know how to get a gazillion dollars, let me know that. But there's no amount of work, there's no amount of of things or stuff that you're going to be able to do to pay off this debt. You will become a slave to that. You will become a slave to the debt that you are trying to work out. And the same is true with grace. The same is true with the grace that Jesus offers us. There is nothing that we can do to earn this grace. There is nothing that we can do to cover that debt. There is no amount of time that we can serve. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible It doesn't matter how much money you give. It doesn't matter how many different teams you serve on here at our church or even out in the community. There is no amount of things that you can do to work off that debt that Jesus paid for. The grave. The grave needed a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus paid that debt. Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. There are other versions of this passage that says, Our righteous deeds are like a menstrual rag. Meaning no matter how good you think you are, in God's sight you do not measure up. No matter how often you serve, how often you give, how how, how great you are with your readings of the Bible and Scripture, no matter how much of the Scripture you know, there is no amount of good things that you can do. The grave needed a perfect sacrifice. So this means that even on my best day, even on your best day, you still do not deserve the scandalous grace of Jesus Christ. because of what he did because of his forgiveness and his grace you and I can experience peace we can experience grace and love and hope a new full hope because of Jesus Mike Iaconelli, he's really kind of the father of student ministry. He wrote a book called Messy Spirituality, and he says, there's a quote, what landed Jesus on the cross was the preposterous idea that common, ordinary, broken, screwed up people could be godly. What landed Jesus on the cross was this hope for you and a hope for me that one day we could stand before God unashamed 
completely forgiven. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This means that your old life, the the, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you've done that you hate yourself for, that means that those things are gone. That means that those, those sins, those mess ups, those whatever it is, those things are gone. And now when God looks at you, he sees something new and he sees something called Jesus. Unblemished. Perfect with new life. So when you strip away the layers, when you strip away the the act that you've been hiding behind to cover your shame and you get to you, you, you get to the you that God created. When you strip all of these layers away and you, and, and you get to you, the only, the only thing that, that God sees is Jesus with his arms stretched wide for you, for me. So many of us struggle with this idea of grace. And, I mean, it, 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 it's huge, like I get that, but so many of us struggle with this idea of grace and, and I don't really think it's because we don't fully believe that God could forgive us. I think there may be a part of that. But I think that if we're honest, if we continue to strip the layers back, I believe that it's because we could never forgive us. I believe that the one thing that is keeping you from experiencing and keeping me from experiencing the fullness of the, of the forgiveness of God is us. That we could never forgive ourselves. How could Jesus love me when I don't even love myself? How could Jesus forgive me when I don't forgive myself? But because of Jesus and because of what he's done, you have been completely forgiven. Psalm 119 says, or 116, The Lord is gracious and righteous, and our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. All throughout the Bible, we, we, we see story after story after story after story of of the Father's love. We read and we, we see all these different stories and, and it, those stories are not in there to make us feel better. Those stories are in the, in the Bible because the Bible, the Bible is the account of our Father's character. The Bible tells us who God is and what God is about and we see stories of forgiveness, stories of grace, stories of compassion, Desire for his children. Hope. And grace. So the story that 
or the question that I asked at the very beginning, does, does God's grace have limits? And I praise Jesus that it doesn't. I praise Jesus that I don't have to worry about that. Because God's grace does have limits. But his name is Jesus. And I know Jesus. And I've been completely forgiven. We're going to sing a song here called Forgiven. It's a new song, and some of you may have heard it before on the radio, but there's a line in it that when I hear it, it just moves me. He says, God, I fall down to my knees with a hammer in my hand. You look at me, arms open, forgiven. Child, there is freedom from all of it. Say goodbye to every sin. You are forgiven. What if we lived not trying to pay back a debt that's already been paid? What if we lived in the freedom of knowing that we have been completely forgiven? Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, you are just so good and we do not deserve your grace. God, your word says that there is nothing that we can do to earn it, but you sent Jesus anyways because you want to be with us. God, I pray that in this moment, if there's someone in this room that just needs you, that has been hiding behind something, hiding behind an act or behind shame or whatever it is, God, I pray that you would break into their life right now. I pray that you would reveal to them your son. I pray that your spirit would be felt. God, may we believe that your grace is sufficient, that because of Jesus, we have been fully forgiven.